0: Hi, everyone. My name's Lauren. If you don't know me, I'm going to read the Bible for us um, this afternoon. And we've got a few passages from the book of Zephaniah and then a passage from the book of John in the New Testament. And it starts on page seven of your zines if you're following along. The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, son of Cushai, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, during the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, I will sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away both man and beast. I will sweep away the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea and the idols that cause the wicked to stumble. When I destroy all mankind on the face of the earth, declares the Lord, I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all who live in Jerusalem. I will destroy every remnant of Baal worship in this place. The very names of the idolatrous priests, those who bow down on the roofs to worship the starry host, those who bow down and swear by the Lord, and who also swear by Moloch, those who turn back from following the Lord, and neither seek the Lord nor inquire of him. Gather together, gather yourselves together, you shameful nation, before the decree takes effect, and that day passes like windblown chaff, before the Lord's Fierce anger comes upon you before the day of the Lord's wrath comes upon you. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, you who do what he commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. Then I will purify the lips of the peoples, that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him shoulder to shoulder. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshippers, my scattered people, will bring me offerings. On that day, you, Jerusalem, will not be put to shame for all the wrongs you have done to me, because I will remove from you your arrogant boasters. Never again will you be haughty on my holy hill, but I will leave within you the meek and humble. The remnant of Israel will trust in in the name of the Lord." They will do no wrong. They will tell no lies. A deceitful tongue will not be found in their mouths. They will eat and lie down, and no one will make them afraid. Sing, daughter Zion. Shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. And from the book of John. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son,
1: Hi everyone, my name's Craig, I am serve as the minister here at the garrison, and uh, here at 4pm, and uh, extend my welcome to everyone else who said good day to you already this afternoon. Uh, we're going to be exploring uh, parts of this book, Zephaniah, um, another minor prophet. We've only got a few left, it'll be sad when we leave them, but uh, we're going to be reflecting on this Old Testament book of the Bible this afternoon, and I do hope that... Um, you may be encouraged and uh, also challenged. Um, Often when we read the Bible, honestly, with open hearts, um, it has a word for us. And uh, so I'm just going to pray now and ask that um, the Spirit of God may be at work amongst us and also uh, with you as we're reflecting and you're reflecting on these words. So let me pray. Lord, as we sit here now and we hear these words from a prophet many years ago, Lord, I pray that your spirit will bring these words alive in our hearts and minds and give us ears to hear what you are saying to us. So we ask for your help in this and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, I do wonder, how would you describe um, the world we all want? Uh, It's probably a trick question, right, because we're all so different, that there would be multiple answers, endless answers to the world we all want. Some would want a world of constant music. Others would want some sort of world full of adventure around every corner. Others would want a world full of books and reading and big mugs of tea we are different, so our perfect worlds would probably have quite different designs and makeups. But I wonder, is there sort of a core yearning that is common to all of us as humans that describe the broad shape of the world that we all really want? Could it be a world of peace and a world of justice? a world of loving order, Uh, a world perhaps with less tragedy, a world with more joy, a world with less loneliness, maybe a world with more community. I think core to the message of the minor prophets that we've been reading for several months now is that God himself is going to bring about the world we all want. Uh, As we explore the prophet Zephaniah today, I'm actually going to begin at the end. I'm going to begin at the end of the prophecy with the vision he paints of God's plan for the future. And then we're actually going to kind of work back and we're going to end at the beginning just to do things differently. But we're going to start at the end. And you can actually read it there in chapter 3 of Zephaniah. It's a fairly short prophecy. He says these words as he looks ahead to God's plans. Then, he says, Then I will purify the lips of the peoples, that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him shoulder to shoulder. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshippers, my scattered people will bring me offerings On that day, Jerusalem, you'll not be put to shame for all the wrongs you have done to me, because I'll remove from you your arrogant boasters. Never again will you be haughty on my holy hill, but I will leave within you the meek and humble, the remnant of Israel will trust in the name of the Lord. They will do no wrong. They will tell no lies. A deceitful tongue will not be found in their mouths. They will eat. They will lie down and no one will make them afraid. I think it's fair to say that Jesus has always called his followers, uh, Christians, to be future orientated people. Um, That doesn't disengage us with the present. Hopefully, as we'll see, it actually does the opposite but future oriented people. And Zephaniah here in his prophecy, he touches on the future that God is promising. People in this future will know and actually love God. They will serve shoulder to shoulder. There will be no arrogance or pride or, that's haughtiness. There will be no deception. There will be no lying. There will be no fear. Uh, The God who has given life to all things, and I guess this makes sense, he knows the world we all want, and his plans are to bring it about. They say that central to the human experience is this uh, need for validation. Um, I know it's fashionable to think of oneself as a self-made woman or a self-made man, You know, thankful to have others around me, but really I'm driven by my own internal passion that will never be snuffed out. It's kind of pretty fashionable to see things that way. I'm not sure if it's actually true of anyone though, at least not in the long term. Uh, The Bible would say we're actually creatures of a creator, which means we have been given life. You've been given your life. And along with that is identity. Identity received as much as it is created. During the week, I met up with Matt Straw. A lot of you guys know Matt. He's the previous pastor of the 4 p.m. congregation here and a good friend. Um, Towards the end of the conversation we had as we're hanging out, um, I said, Matt, you know what? I reckon we see the other person for who they are better than they see themselves. I said, for the next month, I'm going to write down, I'm going to note down all the times I'm in a situation and I think Matt would have done a great job at that or Matt would have nailed that talk or that event or that conversational moment and then I'm going to read them all to you. And uh, we had a laugh but then he agreed to do the same thing for me. You know, it's like we all have antenna that are seeking to pick up a signal of who we are. We listen. Now, listen to the words of Zephaniah as he looks ahead to God's plan for our world. Chapter 3, verse 16 of Zephaniah, he says this Do not fear Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he'll no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. This world we all want, that God has planned, it's not just about things out there, justice, mercy. It's also about things in here as well, and here. Zephaniah says God will rejoice over you with song. I wonder, have you ever had a song written for you? I guess that's why people date musicians, right? Well, according to Zephaniah one of the first things you'll hear in God's new creation is a song. Sung by God himself. You will hear the validation that you are a child of his. You will have a full sense of self and identity. And you may, for the first time, feel whole and loved. And if this isn't good enough, Zephaniah goes on in the rest of chapter 3... We don't have it in our zines to describe more of this world God has planned. The prophet says he's going to remove all oppression. He'll not just rescue the weak, but he'll lift them up and give them honor. He will not just receive those who have faced deep shame, but he will speak words of praise and honor and value into their lives. Zephaniah concludes all of this with the words, at that time... I will bring you home. I love the promised future that God has for us. And I want to yearn, learn how to yearn for it more and more and let it get into my bones and shape more of my life now. But I wonder, what do you think has to happen for that world to come about? There has to be significant change, doesn't there? From this current world. Certain things will have to cease, things like evil and injustice, things like hatred and wickedness, things like rejection of our God, and this is actually part of Zephaniah's prophecy as well. God is going to bring about the world we all want, but it's not going to happen by accident. There will be a day of the Lord, he refers to, when he brings all evil to an end. I used to work, as you know, for quite a while in high school, a couple of different schools. There's a common time every roughly October, depending what school you're in, where uh, the year 11 students officially move into year 12, and uh, they become the leaders for the following year. Uh, you may have remembered that perhaps in your own school experience. Sometimes, like, prefects or school leaders are chosen. The student leadership uh, usually come together. And they often come up with ways that they are finally going to make their school better. And they have a list of what they're going to do. And most of the time, it is genuinely a great list. Like, it's a good list. And part of our role uh, was to equip and empower them to do it. But interestingly, every year was the same. This year... This year, we're going to be the year group that really brings change. It's the class of 2018 that's really going to do something for this school. I remember we were saying it's the class of 97 that was going to do something. So, you know. Truth was, the greatest cultural change within a school really often does come from the top. Uh, The headmistress, the headmaster, the principal... They who sit outside the student body and can institute structures and supports and cultures have the greatest impact. Whilst we may be able to articulate the world we all want and yearn for, the implementation of it actually needs to come from outside of ourselves. The word of Zephaniah is that this is God's role. And he has set a day when he will bring it about. He will end evil and he'll bring about the world we all want. Of course, there's a significant problem for Zephaniah with this great act of God. And the problem is that the nation of Judah, whom he's giving this message to, the southern kingdom of Israel, are part of the problem. They are part of the evil. And in this ancient text, such a claim is a total shock because Judah think they're actually part of the solution. Back in uh, chapter 1, verse 4, God says through Zephaniah, I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all who live in Jerusalem. I think ignorance is probably one of the worst places to find yourself in. I don't, know. You see those people who think they're part of the solution with a lot of energy, unknowingly creating more of the problem, and it's so painful to watch. It's even worse to be that person. (laughs) And my guess is at some point in our life, we've all been that person. And that's kind of Judah's problem in this ancient context. God is going to bring about the world we all want, but they won't be part of it. Zephaniah goes on to give the reason why this is the case. Judah, who are meant to represent God, they they call themselves God's people, they've stopped listening to God. Uh, And they've actually gone and worshipped other gods that aren't really gods at all. So Zephaniah declares God's word in chapter 1, verse 5. He says, I will destroy every remnant of Baal worship in this place, the very names of the idolatrous priests, those who bow down on the rooftops to worship the starry hosts, those who on one day perhaps a Sunday at 4 p.m., bow down and swear by the Lord, and then who also go and then swear by Moloch, which was another god of the time. Those who turn back from following the Lord neither seek the Lord nor inquire of him. See, this ancient nation of Judah is in a bad place. But Zephaniah notes... He goes on, it's actually not just Judah, the original hearers of this message, but also he, the other minor prophets do this as well. They say, look, it's not really just Judah that's the problem, it's actually all nations. All nations are, to a degree, part of this problem of evil in our world. And so chapter 1 verse 3 has this kind of haunting kind of uncreation of the world, where God says, I'll destroy all humankind on the face of the earth declares the Lord. So at this point, as readers, we're kind of forced to stop and, and say, wait a minute, so God is going to bring about the world we all want, but because we're not perfectly loving, just, merciful, and good, we're not going to be a part of it. What the heck? How does that work? It's kind of like describing to me how awesome your housewarming party is going to be, and then telling me I'm not invited, right? It's... And it would be that way in Zephaniah, except he has one more word for us. In chapter 2, right in the middle, verse 11, he says this. He says, gather together. Gather yourselves together. So in other words, take the first step in your own life. Take some action. Gather together before the decrees take effect. Before that day passes like windblown trough, before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the, Lord's, the day of the Lord's wrath comes upon you, and what are you to do as we gather together? He says, seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, you who do what he commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. So with these words, we see well, maybe we are invited into the world we all want. Although, isn't it interesting that even in this part of human history, Zephaniah isn't really certain what's going to happen. He calls people to repent. That means to actually turn back and start listening to the God who's given us life, to join God's plans, to look forward to his promised world. But even Zephaniah still has this whisper of doubt. He says, perhaps you'll be sheltered by God. I think you will. I think that's the kind of God he is, but I don't really know how the dynamics work. You could well argue that um, the most famous verse in the whole Bible uh, is John 3.16. Back in the day, people could recite it regardless of whether they were a Christian or not, maybe less so now. Uh, I'm currently, uh, it's our memory verse for my scripture class up at Fort Street Primary. We've put it to song and we sing it uh, every Wednesday morning. But John 3.16 remains, I think, probably the most famous Bible verse in the Western world. And it's famous for a reason, but today I want you to hear it in the context of the words that come after it and therefore also in the context of Zephaniah's message, that we've been reading today. Hear these words, John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life, the world we all want. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him, Jesus, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Now, these are the words of Jesus himself in John chapter 3, the one we worship. The one whose very mission was to come and save us from condemnation into the world we all yearn for. And I actually want to finish at this point, at the very start of this prophecy, uh, the opening two verses. The opening two verses of this prophecy are really interesting. Here we are. The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, son of Cushi, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, during the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, the king of Judah. Now, these are who cares verses, right? I don't know if you've read the Bible much. There are certain bits in the Bible where it's just like, I don't really know what this means. It's a collection of words that have no meaning to me. They're who cares verses. But as we're going to find, these are actually not who cares verses. They are great opening sentences into this prophecy. You see, Zephaniah, the guy giving the prophecy, we're told, is the great-great-grandson of Hezekiah. If you're on Rivendell this year, you would have known a little bit about Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a king of Judah who reformed the nation. He was a really good king. Uh, He removed the worship of idols, he led the nation back to worshiping at the temple in Jerusalem. He pushed for a national celebration of the Passover to remember that God is a God who saves and rescues. Zephaniah is a guy who has been shown through his family what living for God really looks like. King Josiah is the other name at the start of this prophecy. King Josiah was different. Josiah's father, King Ammon, was kind of a dodgy guy. Under his father's reign, Judah was actually marked by corruption and injustice. And so the setup is this. Is it possible for the son of a dodgy king to hear the words of a godly man, a prophet, and actually turn things around? It turns out they're not who cares verses at all. And you know what? You can read 2 Kings chapter 22 and you'll find that this King Josiah, who you read in the second verse, he was a man who turned away from his father's actions and pursued something much greater than himself. It was during King Josiah's reign, actually, that the book of the law was rediscovered. That's like the book of Deuteronomy in that text. In the nation of Judah, it had gone so dodgy that they didn't even know what their scriptures were. They'd been lost. And under King Josiah's reign, it was found again, and Josiah demanded that we need to read these words from God, and we need to act on them. The words of Zephaniah speaking into King Josiah's life were powerful words that set him on a really great and God-honoring path. Both these figures in the opening verses of this prophecy were people who knew that the problems of our world were not going to be fixed right now, and they weren't going to be fixed merely by the hard work of good people, although that is good. No, they knew that we all need God to intervene if this world is going to become the one we all want it to be. But in the meantime, they did not sit idly by. They took what they knew of the future, God's promises, and they lived it out in their present. In different ways. So for Zephaniah, he declared the truth of God's plans, and he called people to return to their God. And for Josiah, he used his position of kingship and authority to actually put God's word first and to lead what was entrusted to him in a way that represented the coming kingdom of God. And I think in many ways, this is where we find ourselves today, with one exception— the, the uncertainty of how God will bring about the world we all want has actually been made known. We know something that Zephaniah didn't: the work, the death, the resurrection, the coming again of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But I wonder what may it look like for you to be a representative of this God here in Sydney as you await God's promises to be fulfilled. I wonder what it may look like to allow the future reality of what God is going to do, bring about the world we all want, to shape your actions now in your workplace, in your home, in your daily choices. You see, King Josiah was a guy who had a lot of influence and he had a lot of power. And he could have used that in any manner of way. But from what we read, as best we could, he said, I'm going to use this little sphere of influence that I have. I want to try and influence it as much to be like the kingdom of God that is coming. To know that the true problems of the world will never fully be solved until God does away with all evil and injustice and ushers in the world we all want. But until that day... Each one of us has a role and we have a voice. To be in humility and grace, part of the solution rather than part of the problem. That is to be a man or a woman who through repentance and faith is now actually an ambassador for Jesus and his kingdom. Making small, maybe big decisions, small decisions. Shaping the culture of the workplace we're in to whatever degree we can. Shaping the tone of our friendships. Perhaps uh, you might be here this afternoon and you don't yet identify fully as a Christian and so perhaps a big step for you is to actually say, wow, actually I want to be part of this world that God has planned and I need to believe in the one God has sent to get me there, Jesus. John 3.16. So maybe today for you, it's, 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 you, you pray a prayer for the first time saying, God, I, I know you're on my side and I accept Jesus as my Savior and Lord. It could be a range of different things that we respond. To be a man or woman who through repentance and faith is now an ambassador for Jesus, one who calls on the name of the Lord and serves him shoulder to shoulder with the brothers and the sisters that he's put alongside us as his family. And so I I'm I want to pray that God will lead you uh, to continue in that journey that he has called us on as we await Jesus' return and we let that shape our present now. So let me pray for us. Uh, dear Lord and Father, we thank you that. Uh, even tonight, we have a chance as, um, as family, a church family, as friends here, uh, to share in dinner tonight, to eat together. And Lord, I thank you that uh, your future plans are often described by Jesus as a banquet, a feast, something really good, something we all want to enjoy. I thank you, Lord, that you're a God who has great plans And I pray, Lord, that you might give us a spirit of trust, that not only trusts in the future promises you have for each one of us, but that also can trust right now in this moment that your kingdom, led by your son Jesus, is the one that we allow to shape our life, that we pray, as Jesus says, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so I pray wherever you have each one of us, the workplaces, the friendships, that we may be ambassadors for our saviour Jesus and seeking the kingdom that is to come. So lead us and guide us individually and also as one community in this. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.